Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Real Deep Podcast, brought to you in part by Tazini Media. I'm your host, Steve Samino, senior writer at nrealdeep.com, and with me today is a special guest. We don't have Andrew again, unfortunately, but we have something that's almost as good, perhaps even better. We'll see how we go. Andrew will be the judge of that, of course. But we have a special guest, my friend filling in, my friend and famed television producer, Walt Schwenk. Hey, Walt, how are you? Steve, it's good to be here. Yeah, uh, welcome aboard. We will, I guess, uh, the, the audience will be the judge if uh, this is a better, <laughs> yeah. this is a decent replacement or not. But uh, my hope is to at least fill fill the shoes. Yeah, I'm very excited to be talking to you, and I'm very excited for the movie we're going to talk about because I think we, uh, we, I know you've been wanting to come on for a while, and I think this is a great time to have you. Where we're gonna, we're gonna chat about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh, the recently released Marvel movie that's tearing up. It's doing very, very well. It's getting another round of positive reviews. And I think, you know, Walt and I have talked a bunch about Guardians 2 and Guardians 1. And uh, Andrew and I have talked a bunch about the comic book movie universe in general. And I think this is as good a time as any to sort of loop back and have more conversation as, as Marvel sort of moves forward into their next generation of movies. And as the, the Guardians 1, which I think really stood out uh, when the original came out as, as unique and fun and sort of stood on its own i think it's, it's interesting to see how that started being fed into the larger universe so walt i'd love to hear your two cents on what you thought about this one and how, how it's sitting with you a couple days after you saw it yeah so i mean we've talked about collabor- collaborating in the past and this was the movie i wanted to collaborate on uh i've always been i was such a fan of the first one uh can't really say that about most of the marvel movies uh maybe i'm cynical but i just a lot i have a lot of problems with some of those movies and and guardians was such an outlier and such it sat on an island and it because these are aren't there's a lesser known characters in this universe that everybody knows so much about at this point it kind of bought them a lot of creative liberties and it just created a whole new look and feel for this genre so i was very excited to talk about this and watch this movie and you know you know just just enjoy it. And the more I think about it, the less I like it, which, you know, is usually what happens when I see a movie. I don't, I did, it didn't meet expectations. Yeah. I find, I just, and, and the more, yeah, the, the more I talk about it, the, I find new reasons not to like it. And I, I don't, I did not walking into it. did not want that to be the case. Like, no, of I, course not. I mean, I, I assume you can agree with this. I had probably more higher expectations of this than I probably will with, any other Marvel movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's something I wanted to talk about too. And we'll just jump right to that because, um, I think you're right. I would say, especially, you know, it's, I'm sure there are people out there who love Avengers and, and love some of the other ones, but guardians definitely was, uh, the most, you know, like you, like you, I think you definitely told it right. And, and this story has been told a million times before, but they really did get to do something a little different with these very under established characters that are a little often like a niche area of the Marvel world. So I think everybody loves what they were able to do there, but 
I, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't go into this one expecting it to necessarily do that. Like, I think I went into it a little more cynical, which maybe is why I enjoyed it as much as I did. Because I was sort of, you know, uh, expecting it to, to, A, sort of fit back into the Marvel world a little too neatly and just sort of tie everything together so that they can bring everyone, uh, all the superheroes together in the next couple installments. And also, I just thought it was the first one had, you know, I, I always think about movies that are that where the uh, the writers and the directors have time and you know to develop their the script and to think about their vision and to make it unique and stand out. I think when you rush anything when you're doing a sequel, it's just I think the what really kills so many of them is just the weight of of no time to get shit done, no time to really be thoughtful in your execution to to really put the best script together. Like you just rush and you and the, and you're on a set timeline because you got to make money, you got to get your product out there. And I was more nervous, I guess, that this one was going to just fall prey to all. All of those general sequel issues and then when it came out just be very lackluster so maybe that's why i ended up like my review is up on inrealdeep.com for anyone who wants to go take a look but i i i went into it and i think the first couple of minutes i was not really i thought it felt like i was like oh here we go my worst expectations are coming true and then as it went on and on i think i got more and more caught up in it and then by the end i was even shedding a couple tears so i but i do think you're right that expectations do play a big role coming into this and i guess i think we just had uh relatively different ones when we sat down yeah you hit on uh, hit upon a few things that uh, i think are worth really talking more about is like part of me really hoped that they didn't fold a lot of this back into the universe and some of the some of my criticisms really do relate to the fact that they they did try and start putting this back into the the rest of the Marvel universe. But you knew they were going to have to to a certain extent because they're going to be in the big old Avengers movie. So it was inevitable at a you know at some point that that was going to happen. Of course, but but here's the the way I see it, look, and who am I to make a, a big You're a big, guy on a podcast. I'm a guy on a podcast uh, and sometimes on a forum, but <laughs> I you know, they're already in space. They're already in Thanos' backyard. Like, what, you know, folding him in with everything anything else, like, they kind of just are there already, you know? Yeah. Like, the space, the space bandits or the team in space where all this is, I assume, is going to end up. Maybe I'm wrong there, but... No, I think, um, I think yeah, space seems likely. Right. I mean, Thanos, uh, he might go to Earth. He might go to New York, but... Chances are, I imagine he's gonna just put together his plot in the vastness of space, and yeah. they're already kind of ta- with with the Ronin conflict. They're already kind of tangentially in his backyard. So, uh, but I mean, I don't know I, the creative decision making that's gonna lead everybody together. Who knows? But again, though, I didn't necessarily expect them to really start that process yet, and maybe that maybe I was wrong to assume that. But then. I started to see it and I'm like, Oh no, here we go. Another, uh, another, uh, Marvel movie. I guess. But yes, sure. I mean, they, they probably were more rushed the, the, the second time around than the first time, the the first time around, you need to kind of really figure out who these characters are and what the stories you want to tell. And, And I would argue that in this one, they had interesting stories to tell and they had interesting new characters. And I feel like they, to me, I feel like without going into too much detail, I feel like they focused on the wrong, the wrong things and told the wrong, not the, I don't want to say told the wrong stories, but that they, they told stories that end up hurting other characters because they weren't as relevant to that story. 
if that makes sense. Who who do you think was her? Would you mean like because obviously the movie and and we can we'll, we usually spoil things. So I mean the movie's in, almost entirely the the main point is Quill and his dad, who is Ego, who's played by Kurt Russell, who's a planet god person, and that's the crux of the movie. And and Quill I certainly thought was a little neutered by that because there's only so much he can do. He spends a lot of the movie just in in wonder and excitement about meeting his dad, and certainly didn't get to be as fun as he was in the first one. That's true. I mean, my, my, even my criticism isn't even with Peter Quill's character. I mean, although it turned, it got a little weird when they both turn into like, it felt like the, the end of the matrix. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> just fighting in just like open air. I'm like, okay. Yeah. That was very matrixy. Um, but I, mean, I would also argue that like, you know, what was Drax's role in this one? Exactly. Making like, fun of the the cute girl with the the little ten, tentacle things or whatever. Mantis, the yeah. Ant, antennas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The ant, ant mantis. <laughs> um, but you know, he was kind of lost. I, I would argue Rocket was pretty lost. Yeah, Rocket had, but, but my what what brought me back into the movie was Rocket's interactions with Michael Rooker. I think Michael Rooker is was was good in the first one but was sort of just there. He's the best. I think he's the best part of this movie. I think he did a yeah. great job. A character that I thought everyone probably thought was pretty irrelevant after the first one and was about to, you know, was was going to be an impediment and then was just going to be gone and he ends up being the most emotional part of the movie and probably the most interesting and and fun of all the things that are happening. Maybe because he was removed from the whole ego story, so he got to they got to do their own thing, which which I agree sort of makes Rocket a little less relevant. But and, and it sort of made him a sidecar to to Yondu's story, Michael Rooker. But mm-hmm. I, I thought, but it let I thought it let Rooker really shine, and that 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 gave it that element of of surprise and something I wasn't really expecting that that I didn't really get from anybody else. Yeah, I mean Yondu's story was was easily the best. I mean yeah. his character was easily the best, and it's too bad that they. I mean, unless Infinity Stone's going to bring him back to life, I don't. It's unfortunate that that was his fate. I mean, I understand that you need to do that to tell that emotional story, which, you know, admittedly got me emotional, but you know, rocket, like you said, rocket was kind of just like a, a sidecar to, to that vehicle. And, you know, in the first one that I recently just rewatched too, it's like rocket was so he, to me, he stole the show. That character stole the show. Bradley Cooper. Yeah. So like, I wanted as much of Rocket as possible and his bickering and his antics and just like his banter and like was was great. And you kind of got that at the beginning and the end when they reunited everybody. But what they kind of, when he was kind of by himself, he had no one to play off of. And I just think that that was a missed opportunity. Yeah, that does seem to be like the – the formula that they're using for their team up movies that which which sort of makes sense from a story standpoint because it, the avengers as a team are literally unstoppable pretty much unless they're fighting a million aliens uh if they're fighting one villain or one bad guy why wouldn't they be able to just beat the crap out of them when the guardians are all together obviously they're a lot more formidable if they're like but so you really need to split them up and then bring them back together at the big moment i think is is sort of how they're going about these things to justify uh why i guess why these conflicts take as long as they do to resolve but you're right. In during the process of doing that, you do lose a lot of the fun that made the first one so great. Is watching them all interact with each other and come to be 
to be buddies. And I think in this one, they just sort of started out as buddies. And I think you and I were talking before. I, I didn't, looking back, I didn't really, I forgot why they were all friends. I forgot like where they left things at the end. And though I thought the beginning was super like, in a lot of ways, introductory to the characters and referencing the fact that they all love tunes and reminding us like who, what their names are and what their personality quirks are and all those things. I didn't get, they didn't really get, they, they sort of just, it was sort of implied, oh, they're a team and they're friends and they're family. Like, don't worry about it. And I think they probably could have done a better, you know, I think that was the most fun part. I remember of the first one is watching that bond actually form, not just being told that there was a bond. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the, the fast movies, you know, you, you keep, you keep being reminded that they're, they're ma familia or whatever <laughs> they keep saying. It's like, okay, sure. Cause you're telling me this same sense of that where it's like, in the first one, they did such a good job of like really creating dynamics, and I and I feel like it's like it's a show don't tell, and they they just kept telling us, and yeah. that was kind of to me that was kind of a cop out. Like that was and that, there was more story to tell there because you know they kind of gave you little teases along the way, like Rocket was and and Quill have trust issues still. Like there's more to, to discuss there and, and it kind of, they, they started down that path in the beginning and then when they separate everybody, it's like you lose that. And yeah, again, it's not, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that they're going to be the five best friends. Like yeah. they all have their own motivations from the first one. They all have their own issues. They had issues with each other. Like they still have issues with each other. Like there's more, there's more to tell there. And you know, to, again, like to me, like that's why I kind of looked back on the first part of the movie and enjoyed it a little more than when they separated. That's uh, fair. I mean, uh, I, I, I get your point. And like, I think that, um, you know, it's just, it's an interesting, uh, it's, it's, it's awkward with these movies sometimes because like on one hand I appreciate and enjoy the, the skill in which they are building towards what they're building towards. Cause I think they do a really nice job of making all, even though the, the parts are obviously just parts and they're not, um, they're not, they're not real good standalone stories. Like they're all pieces of something. I feel like they do a great job of making them all really interesting and real and usually pretty fun. Like, I know you, you said you were not a huge fan of all of them. I would consider myself a decent fan of all of them. And I think they're much better than a lot of the other crap that gets put out there. Um, but that's still, it still is awkward because it, it never ends and it never, you can, it's, you can never be sad. And I guess comic books are the sort of the same way, like comic books, you get one and it's a chunk of a story and it's a chunk of a story and, and you, you never get that satisfying conclusion really. But with a movie and when you spend sent there for two and a half hours and you're watching these characters you like and everything is, you know, these characters will return in the next installments. Like it just it, it can be exhausting and you, you sort of need an end point. And I don't know at some point, like, are we just going to get tired of all this? Like, is it is it to the detriment of these movies at a certain point to just keep building and building and building and building? Because obviously, like you said, you you didn't like the fact that they were building and you and you sort of rebelled against that. And I think that's going to happen. I'm sort of surprised that it hasn't happened yet, but you know it's going to happen soon just because they're never going to end. I mean, to that point, too, the payoff better be better than Guardians 1 plus Avengers plus Iron Man plus, you know what I mean? Like, the, it better be this good where everything is kind of feels like it's a part of the whole. Like, yeah, it's setting high know, expectations for something they probably can't live up to. No, but when like, you know, you look at the movie in a, by itself in like guardians one, and I was so satisfied with that by itself. And, you know, 
I haven't, I didn't feel like that for many of the Marvel movies. It's like just it, it, you because because you know having read a lot of comics as a kid, like there are story arcs that have conclusive endings. I mean, Spider-Man continues to fight, but his, this story with this character is done mm-hmm. and done in a way after twenty or so comics that is satisfying. So, like, I see your point where it's, it, it, you know, it, it is like it feels like a never-ending battle because that's just the nature of kind of that storytelling and that fan base that keeps wanting more and more and hundreds of issues. But it's, you know, God, that Th- this Thanos storyline better be the greatest thing we've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, they're setting the bar very high. Just And not even because of the, the goodness of these movies or the, or the quality of these movies, which I do think they have a high quality to them, but just the fact that it's just, it's a never, I guess it's a never ending build. So at that point, you're going to need a satisfying end game. And I'm just not, I'm, I'm sure that people will whack the hell out of that pinata when that time comes, because there's just no way they're going to satisfy everybody. No, I mean, uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario where it, this movie does just like have the most satisfying. Th- I mean, cause just because, I just don't. I just don't know what that looks like. To be honest, uh, I'm hoping they have a better plan than me. But um. <laughs> I hope so. They got this big board, Marvel headquarters. It's, it's it's complicated. So yeah, it's um. We'll see. Um. What what I will say though, and I, the, I what I thought was interesting. Uh, James Gunn, obviously the writer director, comes back to to read to wrote and directed this movie. And there was a story by Tim Grierson in Rolling Stone a couple days ago, and. He basically talks about the Marvel movies and as a whole and how uh, it's sort of surprising that they're so well received by critics because so many big blockbusters are disparaged. You know, even the fast movies are not enti- always immune to criticism. And but in, but in the Marvel movies, they are. And he said part of the charm and why he likes them as well is because they give people like Tim Gunn or James Gunn, James Gunn, people like. Um, the Russo brothers who did uh, Civil War and are on the Captain America and the Avengers spot now and, and previously just did episodes of Community. Like, they reach out to people that you would not expect. Even Joss Whedon back in the day were not obvious choices to direct their movies. And they do, you know, though though there is a, a very, obviously, a clear script and a clear structure to what they're doing, it seems that they give you a decent amount of leeway within the movie to be unique. And I think that's why... Uh, Guardians. One of the, I mean, most of the reason, most of the credit people give the Guardians being so unique is because James Gunn is an interesting sort of weird director who came up through like the trauma uh, B movie schlockfest uh, world and then got a chance to make a two hundred million dollar comic book movie about people no one ever heard of. So I think that's a really like underrated, not underrated element because people talk about it all the time. But I think it's just interesting as we get further and further into this and as they do start making these follow ups and these sequels. And Thor Ragnarok, I know, is being directed by the guy who did the New Zealand director Taiko Watiti. He he did what we do in the shadows. He's um, Hunt for the Wilder People. He's you know these are not the people you necessarily would expect to take on these jobs. And I think that makes it's it's just it it, it just shows me that for all their rigidity and in, in making sure they build to the right thing, they they do allow for those opportunities. And I hope people take the you know grab for it like James Gunn did and make something different because it's it's pretty clear now that people love this Guardians thing and they build it sort of out of nothing which for Marvel is weird because that's that's not their MO at all yeah I mean you know and James Gunn has such a, a history past of or, or a past of, of, of I guess gang movies uh, you know didn't he direct Scooby-Doo yeah <laughs> I think he wrote Scooby-Doo I just read that 
Yeah, so that's true. He knows no gang movies. He knows he the good old. Gang. I was trying to figure out what you meant by gang movies. That's great. Yeah, that's the original gang, I think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they're all all buds. They're yeah. they're the familia. Uh, uh, oh, no, look, it, it's it's good because you know, look at even Favreau. It's like, yeah, why why did you give him Iron Man? And, and but it's also too. It's like this is so unprecedented to have like this this machine that marvel has created where you have all these moving parts and you have the ability to have like individual personalities and 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 auteurs and just like visions but at the same time servicing this bigger story and so i mean like i don't know if that makes decisions like like hiring gun and taking a chance on on him like actually a better idea or a worse idea like because i mean think of that the stakes are so high with the with this machine i mean we're talking about billions of dollars here yeah so taking those chances isn't necessarily something that you would expect hollywood uh movie studios to do right i mean yeah i mean i would imagine kevin feig feels pretty confident in in again the over the overarching skeleton of of what he has in that he and then he they they must feel like they obviously have the the leeway to give people a little rope when they're actually doing the the in between you know the the middle ninety minutes and stuff that they and people can can sort of flex their creative muscle in that regard as long as they start a certain way and wrap it up a certain way they're letting you get from A to B with a little panache which is nice and it is sort of crazy like you said it is not traditionally the way things go it seems to be the way things are going more lately I feel like you're seeing more interesting. Uh, casting decisions and writer director decisions and the old days it would be michael bay it would be you know the guy who did speed it would be like they'd rehash the same people over and over they'd run what's his face uh uh batman dude who stinks joel schumacher they like they'd run these names out there because they were just names and they were competent and i think now it seems like they're they're letting the franchises and the and the over and the bigger stories speak for themselves and allowing some more unique people to do it which uh, it's hard to like. I, I wonder why they do that. Like, I wonder because because obviously I'm sure they appreciate the the critical acclaim from from you know people who just get tickled like like you or I or Andrew into seeing like a cool name attached to something. But I wonder if they're genuinely doing it because they like the creativity or because they they say no see no reason not to and see dollar signs and see good reviews coming their way. Like, I wonder if if we should be cynical about that at all or if we should just thank be thankful that it's different than what you would normally expect. I don't know. I mean, like. I'm just like, just thinking in my head right now, it's like, there's like, you just said with Schumacher, like there's just so many scenarios where a comic movie can go just horribly wrong and yeah. bad. And and they did for the longest time. Like it was an embarrassing idea. And even, even so like when, once they started Spider-Man and X-Men, which were rolling for so long, then they, but their third ones were just such disasters. And this is the same directors. Like it wasn't even anybody. Well, it wasn't, well, I guess X-Men three was a different director, but, but still like it was, it was on a path to success. And then they tanked because they ran out of juice and things got crazy. And Marvel somehow has avoided that, that massive tank, like really entirely. Like, I don't think they've had a flop yet. And, and I wonder if that is just because of this overarching umbrella kind of keeps things filtered and, and keeps, you know, it's, it's hard to go too far off the grid if you have to service this, bigger picture yeah, if you're chained oh. to the grid you can't go off the grid yeah so i mean it's it's interesting to think about and also like i said it's because it's so unprecedented like you know what other universe really does does it like this i mean 
maybe you could argue Star Wars, but I w- there's more moving pieces in this than there's in Star Wars. Star Wars is pretty linear yeah. when you consider the storytelling and the characters in the universe. Like I know now they're going to now start creating their own universe a la Marvel, you know, which kind of makes sense because they're all owned by the same people now. But uh, but it took them you know years, obviously, because it was George Lucas's baby, but it took them forever to get that going, and there's no guarantee they'll do a good job of that. People seem to really like Rogue One. I didn't think it was that great. And, but there's no guarantee that the next one is going to be good. Like there's just there's a lot of uncertainty that Marvel had when they got started. The Marvels just powered through that uncertainty with such vigor and passion that it's just now it's a foregone conclusion, and it's sort of crazy how fast that all came together. Yeah, well, how fast they came together. When was the first Iron Man made again? It feels it feels like it was so much longer, right? I mean, like I, I feel like we've been t- oh god, that's even. Yeah. So, oh, in, so in nine years they've built like a unstoppable behemoth that is not only again not only made printing money but is culturally beloved and and it just it sort of seems like again like i i don't i don't think i i and maybe i'm not being should be more cynical like i said but i don't think they're just hiring people for hiring people i think they they just i think they like giving people shots to do interesting things and i think that's weird and rare but maybe when you come so quick out of nowhere like this you're allowed to be a little weirder and rarer because you're not beholden to any system but your own yeah that's true i mean like look i mean at this point i would say the taking chances like on people has really paid off and has really you know you've you've seen a lot of interesting distinct movies and despite my criticism of individual movies and, and characters like you know like i'm never i'm just never going to like captain america like i don't care who's who's making that story i mean i just i just don't care yeah like, but you but, like the captain america by the russo brothers probably more than you like captain america by michael bay or someone with a little less you know less to say oh i would also argue that you know you look at like the fail experiments with Zack snyder an established someone who is established or was established with 300 and now was given major characters in the dc universe and it's like oh that didn't that was, what was that? <laughs> yeah and at best everyone universally like sighs and looks away and and you know tries to find something to like even though they ultimately dislike the larger whole yeah so, so in that case that, that makes the argument to always take chances because you know so yeah you think you know what you're getting with someone you end up getting something worse yeah snyder is a great example i don't know why that didn't come to mind right away for me obviously i, I try and put dc out of my mind as much as i can when, when thinking about this stuff but yeah he's in theory that seems like a great idea too but he's a little more cookie cutter not cookie cutter but he's more he's more of an obvious choice and just because he did a couple of good things back in the day it, it, he's definitely falling in line with his with a certain level of boring nothingness with all these movies where he and definitely not being a competent interesting director in any ways like it's 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 either rote or it's or it's unsatisfying yeah and his his ability to butcher music in movies is <laughs> <laughs> or pick the most off glaringly obvious choice which guardians does a little does this guardian soundtrack definitely skewed a little more it's like the george harrison song which i love don't know if i need what is life in my guardians comic book movie that just felt a little like i like that they did things like i love they do brandy looking glass which is one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. ever that i loved well before this movie ever existed like that's the kind of thing I like seeing get puffed up by a by a big movie like this. But George Harrison doesn't need the boost. Come on, or ELO even doesn't need the boost. Come on, they're they're doing fine for themselves. Well, and the music, and this gets really nitpicky, like really nitpicky. But 
the music in the second one, uh, A, I felt was less memorable. And, and B was like on the nose too much. Like, yeah. the game, oh, we're all big family. And you know? so we're going to play some Big Mac, uh, the game. <laughs> <laughs> Which is branding of Fleetwood Mac, of course. But like, when they played that song twice, if I'm not mistaken. Or I, I, I remember it twice. No, they played it twice. You're right. The, the second time was like sort of a callback to the original time they played it. But if I remember correctly. But yeah, they did play it twice. In, in, my, in my favorite track that is on the soundtrack that I didn't even hear in the movie was using the first trailer that came out was uh, Fox on the run. Yeah. I was so disappointed when that was, didn't make the movie. I'm like, this is the best song I heard in the new soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. That was great for the trailer. Um, and, and, and having rewatched the first one, you know, the music choices were so good and, and, and it wasn't on the nose and it wasn't like, you didn't really think about it. Like, when in the opening sequence, when he's just when it's come and get your love, yeah, it's it has nothing to do with what's happening. Like he's finding this orb. It's like he's, he's picking a song that he likes to rock out to while he's jumping around. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it was it was interesting because it really didn't have meaning. But then in the makes- second one, they're like constantly like, "Don't forget to put the tunes on." Quill loves his tunes. Oh my god, where are the tunes? Like just reinforcing over and over again that the tunes are relevant. I don't like, I just don't get why they needed to do that. Yeah. I thought that was a bit much when they're plugging in the, the tune machine, the, yeah. this, this alien uh, technology to play tunes. Like, yeah, that was, that was a lot. And it especially sort of, like it kills the, like the, like, you know, the, the scene where Kurt Russell, where ego breaks quills, uh, Walkman is still, uh, you know, we, given the, the, the situation, it's still, you know, weirdly powerful because you do recognize how much he loves it because it's his mom's and all that but if, if the goddamn tunes weren't referenced 20 times before that i would have been a lot more sad about the walkman breaking yeah and you know to me it just took away the sincerity of of certain parts of the movie when it's you know there's a soundtrack to what they're it's you know like listening to music while fighting monsters, like you kind of don't have your priorities straight if you're trying to figure that out, you know? Like, Which I think was Ryan Reynolds' gimmick in Blade 3. Is that correct? Oh, man. Uh, listen to his iPod when he's fighting vampires. I thought that was um, Whistler's granddaughter. Whistler's daughter had the uh, had the iPod in. Oh, yeah, was- it could be her, yeah. Ryan Reynolds might be the one commenting on her love of iPod vampire fighting. Although I have to get my bearing straight here because you just dropped Blade Three and I haven't thought about that movie in forever. Um, yeah, H. Uh, Batista's Evolution tag team partner. That's uh, right. Yeah, pro wrestlers everywhere. Yeah. Um, but so one one thing I do I do want to to end with though, which I think is interesting, and um, there was a story on The Ringer, Bill Simmons's site about the the scene where Yandu kills everybody. And I think they sort of, and I've seen this in other places as well. They commented on sort of like oh, the like murder being glorified in a movie. Like who would have thought? And I was thinking about it, and I and I, I sort of get where they're coming. It, it was sort of jarring and surprising. I think like the how sort of quickly they just dispatched people. But there was also a scene that I thought was great, um, even though nothing comes of it. When when Quill realizes that Kurt Russell literally killed his mother he just he he shoots him as you know a hundred times and with the intent to kill him like he obviously he probably in the back of his mind knows that he can't kill him but he wants to kill him like and i don't understand why that is not as jarring as the murder you know the 
the murder of a bunch of other bad dudes, but, you know, off screen and cartoonishly done with music. Like it just seems interestingly nitpicky to me to, to focus on those sort of things. Like I, I, it was a little jarring, but it's, it's a wacky comic book movie that is, that tries to be jarring and distinct in the way it presents things. Like I just didn't find it to be so surprising as to warrant a, a gasp and a, you know, and a wag of the finger or anything like that. Yeah, I would say it's a weird criticism. I mean, out of all out of all the reasons I like or dislike the movie, like that's uh, to me, like I just I that doesn't even come to mind. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, like if anything, though, it's like it, it to me it made sense. I mean, Yondu's Yondu supporters were all killed, and so and he's not a good guy necessarily. Like he did a heroic thing, but he's not a, a noble ethical man by any means. And I think that I think that is the perfect re- that's the perfect reason why I would give I would say it's okay because th- these aren't necessarily like good people like one of them was Thanos's daughter like Rocket clearly has ethical issues Yandu while he's you know ends up becoming a really good father figure uh, yeah these aren't great people so we shouldn't act like it's a betrayal of their character that they're killing people. I mean, you know, it's, it's also kind of like, this isn't Captain America in New York where there, it's like, you're fighting people. It's like, this is a, this is a, a story about outlaws in space and yeah. every, every space odyssey or space setting. Like, I, I feel like that kind of just comes to the territory. It's like the wild west. Almost. Yeah. And, that, and to me, that's okay. I mean, I don't know how, how you feel like, no, no, I think you, I think you, I think you nailed it too when you said that it's, um, yeah, it's it's true to the characters, like it's not, it's true to like they didn't have, uh, you know, Quill wasn't walking around killing a bunch of people or or Drax, like they weren't. It was it was the 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 more dubious of the of the Guardians little group were the ones who were doing the shitty things, you know, they they the Guardians weren't just ha 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 murdering a bunch of people. It was a very isolated incident fueled by revenge and rage and and just being sort of a shitty person overall. So I just don't get why I I, I think it's you know. The, the most important thing when you're telling a story is, is to be honest with your characters, like you said. And I think that you can make a very strong argument that this does exactly that. And if that's the case, then you can not like the movie and the story they're telling, but you shouldn't be so surprised by the departure when it's not really much of a departure at all. Yeah, you know. Also, too, there, there's parts of the movie where they they fight the sovereign race and it's all drones. And it's like, normally, under normal circumstances, these would be people in these ships like you know like every star wars movie when a, a x-fighter or uh dies a person dies yeah it's, like you could ar- also argue where that kind of balances out any egregious killing with the fact that there's this other half the space scenes are fought by machines anyway yeah but yeah, it's, weird to, start, it's weird, weird to start policing the killing in movies at this point. After all, after all we've come and how many cities and planets have been exploded. And, you know, I think uh, the, the, the reason that this one bothers people is because uh, it's a little more personal. It, it's, it's a massacre of sorts, for sure. Like they're, and they're killing characters that are on screen as opposed to a faraway planet or a faraway world. But I don't think that's... To me, that doesn't justify uh, any sort of mild uproar of any sort. Like, it's, again, tonally and character-wise, it makes sense, and it's not that jarring. It's it's different, but I don't really get why people are so, like, ah, uh, or anybody's like, ah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, as far as I've heard, no, I mean, 
casual viewers, I, that's, that's not necessarily uh, an issue. It might be with critics on the, uh, on hot, website. Hot take droppers. Maybe. What was that? People who drop hot takes. That's them. That's, that's a possible hot take. Like this movie is problematic because they kill people aggressively. Yeah. Mo- most of these movies kind of do that though. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. It's not a rarity or anything. Not a hot like take at all. If I, <laughs> I really want to break that down. Yes. <laughs> really cold take um uh anyway um just want i just i just found that interesting so what um let's let's put a bow on this one what else do you have anything else you'd like to add anything else that stood out to you yeah the one thing i will add that we didn't necessarily get into a lot of detail about is there was a lot of hype for kurt russell and in the in the father and at the time no one knew his name was going to be ego and what the deal was going to be and i wasn't really that like into this this whole planet person celestial being like i don't know what did you think of ego i thought he had his moments i think i think uh i thought kurt russell didn't add much to the character like i was sort of i was i was sitting with my friend hulk who's also been on this podcast a bunch of times talking about furious he's our good friend and we were sort of hoping that it would turn into like a if anyone out there watches adventure time when finn meets his father uh Finn's father is like a crumb bum pirate guy who's constantly betraying him and starting trouble. And I think we both sort of made an acknowledgement. Like this is very similar to that adventure time storyline. Cause it seemed like it was going that way. Like he was going to devolve into sort of a captain Ron, Kurt Russell character, you know, like sort of a, a spacey uh, shithead. But in reality, he was just a power hungry, crazy God guy. Like it didn't, it didn't, it didn't need Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell didn't add much to the role. It didn't tap into what we, I think we all like about Kurt Russell at this point. And I thought that was sort of a waste in, in that regard. I also think the character kind of lacks substance. It's like, you know, he's a celestial being and just wants to get rid of life for, you know, this or that or the other reason. To me, like, the, the more interesting antagonist was the sovereign race. Like, there's a lot of interesting dynamics to play with. The fact that they were all this one race that they created and they felt was perfect. Like, there's a lot to play with on that. Yeah. And, we only really got scratched the surface of like this, this race of people that frankly could have been a, a interesting threat. And I, I, I get the sense we're going to see more of them, but like, you know, to me, the movie turned when they went to ego's planet and it was a slow build to his, you know, inevitable plot to take over the universe. Yeah. And, you knew something bad was like, if you know something bad is going to happen and he's going to be the bad guy, like you said, then make it interesting at least make it fun and they didn't really and his plan i mean again this is this is super nitpicky but his plan was really poorly explained like he just he just wanted the whole world to be like frozen in goo basically that seemed like earth was just being covered in like goo that then got hard like i don't really get what was what, what was going to happen then he just wanted them all to die i don't really understand yeah. why i mean yeah that that was that was kind of like the big reveal was the 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 goo planet like planet. <laughs> He's just making goo planets yeah right you know okay or sure. and then cool. they'll, good they'll job kurt yeah with uh with peter quill and shoot like blasts at each other and punch each other with giant rock fists i'm like yeah the, the more we talk about that the less i like and i already didn't like it at all and i like it even less now that we're chatting <laughs> yeah right see that's what i'm saying the more you, you, you yeah 
speak out loud about it. You're like, oh, okay, that was a miss. I still, there's things I like. Though. Like Kurt Russell reciting the lines to Looking Glass, uh, to Brandy, made me laugh. And there were a couple things they did. Like the, the ridiculous like mannequins they had around his little house and their little like showing booze, that made me laugh. Like there were some things that, that I thought were enjoyable. But yeah, it was, it was a waste of him. It was a waste of Sylvester Stallone too. Like what the hell was that? Uh, I guess he's a, a fellow Ravager. Like he's I just, like he didn't do much of it. I mean, it was weird. It was fun enough <laughs> to see him there, but I just wish he had something of substance to do. I, I did read something about how you know the Ving Rhames and and uh, the, the Stallone character. I'm slipping on the name, like Stagalore or something. Uh, it doesn't matter. He's just he was just Sylvester Stallone. Apparently, it was a callback to the original Guardians of the Galaxy, like the 1960s version. Yeah. And it's like, oh. Okay. If, well. if no one knew these guardians, no one knows a shit about the 1960s guardians. Like, I guess that's nice, but like, yeah, I don't like. It's just there's a scene where Michelle Yeoh and Ving Rhames and some fire, like, and this robots there, and I get there's a story probably, but I don't. It certainly resonated with nobody, so I don't really know what that accomplishes. And I guess if that's planting a seed for a future storyline and a future Guardians or a future Avengers, and like, okay, fine, I guess I guess it was necessary, but maybe. Yeah, it felt disjointed, and now that we're talking about it out loud, it it, it really sounds disjointed because we can't even explain what what it was. Yeah. Or what the point was. yeah, that was a bit of a whiff. So, yeah. But anyway, I thought it was good overall. I um I I think expectations are so big with these movies, and and they stoke expectations considerably by you know promoting the hell out of them, making them all part of one big story. Uh, there's just there's like so much hype that goes into the whole big budget movie going experience now that it's very hard for them to follow through. And like I said, I think Marvel's unique in how much they follow through on given the expectations and the, everything they're trying to accomplish. But I agree. If you went into Guardians ex- either expecting another one or hoping for another one or loving the first one so much that you just wanted more, I can see why it would be a letdown. Like I don't, especially after what we talked about, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, and like you know, looking ahead, it, it will be really interesting to see like a Drax or a Quill or a Rocket in the same room as uh, a Tony Stark. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the the prospect for that is still exciting, even if the this one movie didn't deliver uh, in the sequel, in my eyes. But so there's still a lot to be excited about. It just you know, I and I was just so excited for the second one. So yeah, maybe I, that's. That's justifiable, yeah, that's just though. I just thought I thought it was still fun, though. I th- I love everybody. I mean, I thought they did a lot of great stuff with Dave Bautista again. Like he's he's so perfect for that character. And even though he had a lot less to do, I still just find him incredibly entertaining in in that role. And I think that really holds a lot of the stuff. the The more boring things on Ego's planet together, I think, was Dave just being Dave always made me laugh. So yeah, I mean, I, I can't get enough of tracks. That's for sure. Yeah. And good for WWE stars. John Cena's in The Wall, this hot new movie that came out. Dave Bautista, Triple H is in the Babysitter movie from 10 years ago. A lot of good stuff. Oh, he's in Blade 3. He's in Blade 3, yeah. WWE. Yeah, top of mind, clearly. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, that's our Guardians 2 podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Head to inrealdeep.com, read my review. Uh, check out some of our other stuff. I know Andrew's going to get back in the fold with the new Film 101 soon. We should hopefully have a new Al Pacino podcast for you in the near future. So we're going we're gonna to start keeping a little busy. Summer movie season has begun, so there's tons of 
big old blockbusters that we're going to try and chat about as much as we can. So and thank you for coming on, Walt. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and for everybody else, we'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Yeah, your ass could still save from the sea.